Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our risen Lord and Savior, our Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ. Amen. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Though this fourth Sunday in Easter, as we've been talking about, is known as Good Shepherd Sunday, and we think of those comforting words from Psalm 23, beautifully put to music as we just sang, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And we also, every fourth Sunday of Easter, read a portion of John chapter 10, the Good Shepherd chapter. In our three-year lectionary cycle that we follow, we read the first part of the chapter this year. We'll read the middle part next year. In two years, we'll read the conclusion. And then it starts all over again. But let me ask you a question about John chapter 10 in our gospel reading today. In which verse does Jesus actually say, I am the good shepherd. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to look it up. It's 11. Yes, it's verse 11, which was not part of our gospel reading today. But in verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. It's actually the first verse of our gospel reading for next year. And yet we know it's coming, don't we? We're anticipating those wonderful words throughout our entire time of contemplating the gospel. We're we're thinking about the good news that Jesus is our good shepherd, But if that's all we're thinking about, if we're just immediately jumping to to verse 11 and those wonderful words, well, then we're actually going to miss something that's quite important. Because Jesus actually calls himself other than, something other than the good shepherd. And so I'm sure you heard what it was today. What was it? Jesus says, I am the door. The door. I am the door of the sheep, he says in verse 7. And again in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So my sermon title today suggests that perhaps we call this day Good Door Sunday. But then again, that's not quite as catchy as Good Shepherd, is it? Well, there's a reason, however, that Jesus is talking about being the door for the sheep before he talks about being the shepherd of the sheep. And so in order to find out what that reason is, we need to consider the context in which Jesus is saying all of this in the first place. We have to find out what had just happened in John's gospel. After all, chapter 10 is a continuation of chapter 9, and and chapter 9 in John's gospel is actually devoted, the entire chapter, to a particular person's story, the story of a man born blind. It's an important series of events in the ministry of Jesus and in the Gospel of John. Like I said, it took up an entire chapter. And that's because one of the main themes in John's Gospel, when you read through that that Gospel, is being able to see and sight being connected to faith in Jesus and being saved. Versus compared to being blind, rejecting Jesus, and being condemned. Well, in chapter 9, Jesus just healed a man born blind, leading the man to believe in Jesus as his Lord. But the Pharisees who were there, who were convinced that that Jesus was a sinner for not following their their laws about, about healing on the Sabbath and everything that they thought he should be doing, well, they rejected Jesus, and they rejected this man, and they cast this man out of the synagogue. And so Jesus says at the end of chapter 9, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And so the Pharisees heard them say this. They knew that Jesus was talking about them, blind people. 
This man had regained his sight. He had worshipped Jesus, but the Pharisees, who were the de facto pastors of the day, they remained blind. They did not believe in Jesus, and so they stood condemned. And so our gospel reading today, John chapter 10, begins in the middle while this conversation and this confrontation was still going on between Jesus and the Pharisees. And that's when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The shepherd of the sheep. Now we know that Jesus, again, in verse 11, is just is going to call himself the good shepherd. So our minds may quickly assume that Jesus is talking about himself as the shepherd there in verses 1 and 2. That he's talking about himself, but not yet. You see, when, we're, when we step back and look at all, the whole context of the passage, we see that Jesus is talking to and talking about the shepherds of the day, the pastors of Israel. The Pharisees. And Jesus is therefore making a distinction between faithful shepherds and unfaithful ones. And a faithful shepherd, Jesus says, is one who enters by the door to whom the gatekeeper opens, whose voice the sheep hear as the shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them out and who goes before the sheep, leading them into the pasture. Pharisees are lost now. (laughs) They don't understand what Jesus was getting at. This figure of speech, John writes, Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was trying to say to them. And so Jesus makes it absolutely clear. He says, truly, truly, in verse 7, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture." In other words, Jesus says, if the sheep are being led faithfully by their shepherd, by their leader, through the door, the door who is Jesus, then the sheep will be saved and will be led to abundant life in him. But unfaithful shepherds are those who try to lead their flock through anything other than Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. That's why Jesus speaks in no uncertain terms about them. They had turned the people away from waiting, anticipating the great promise of the Messiah that God had given them, the salvation that they knew was coming from God, that they were waiting for their Messiah to come, and instead were turning people to an intense and rigorous observance of the law in order to achieve their own righteousness. They thought, the Pharisees, that they were good enough people in God's eyes because first of all, they were Israelites, they were sons of Abraham, and second of all, because they were strict in their observance of the law. So God owed them that. But what they were really doing was leading God's flock through a door other than Jesus. And that's what made them thieves, whose only aim was to steal and kill and destroy. It had just happened to the blind man in John chapter 9. The blind man had found the true door, Jesus Christ, the way to eternal and abundant life in him. But the shepherds of that day, the Pharisees, after they had questioned him and his parents, had him excommunicated, thrown out 
because he dared to confess Jesus as Lord. And so Jesus condemned them because they were acting like thieves and murderers instead of faithful shepherds. They were leading God's flock to eternal damnation instead of eternal life. And and when they heard Jesus say all that he said, they should have repented and turned to Jesus, asking him for forgiveness, and he would have forgiven them. But instead, because of their sin-fueled stubbornness, they resorted just a few verses later in John chapter 10 to calling Jesus a demoniac and insane and picking up stones to kill him. And so when you think about it, all of this context that we just now explored, it makes Jesus' proclamation in verse 11 all the more powerful when Jesus sees the people of Israel being led blindly by these murderous, murderous shepherds. And he says, I am the good shepherd. You see, Jesus steps into the breach so that he could lead his people who had gone astray. The Pharisees, of course, would go on to continue to resist Jesus. They would kill him, as we recall those events of Good Friday. But it's the good shepherd who, by his resurrection on Easter Sunday, proved that not even death could keep the shepherd away from his sheep. And that Jesus does indeed come, that we might have life and have it abundantly. And so as we think about all this, we think to ourselves, well, what does this mean for us today? Well, there are so many good and and salutary implications that we could draw from this, but I'll focus on just two today. And the first is this, that Jesus provides us here in John chapter 10, the criteria to see if a pastor, remember pastor, pastoral, the word means shepherd. If a pastor, a shepherd of the sheep is a faithful one or not. And so people, they like to judge pastors for all kinds of reasons that appeal to them. They'll judge a pastor based on his personality or on the way he dresses or on his preaching style or any number of things that while they may be important to some extent, aren't the marks of a faithful pastor. In fact, too many millions of people in this world have been led astray by so-called pastors who, who look like they check all those external boxes but ultimately are unfaithful and therefore dangerous. No, the mark of a faithful pastor is whether or not he leads his sheep by way of the door, Jesus Christ. Does a pastor rightly proclaim God's law, which condemns sin and shows us our need for a savior, and then after the law has done its work, does a pastor rightly proclaim gospel, which forgives our sins and delivers to us our savior, Jesus Christ? All the other criteria that you may judge a pastor by is only helpful insofar as that pastor is first and foremost faithfully leading his flock to the only way, truth, and life, Jesus Christ. And considering what makes a shepherd, a pastor, faithful or not, is not only important at your church where your pastor is, but anytime you read any kind of material, an article, a book, or you listen to or you watch other Christian leaders and pastors. Branching outside of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod for for teaching materials or, or other helpful things, that isn't wrong, and in many cases can actually benefit and strengthen our faith. There's a lot of good out there. 
However, we always have to have a critical ear. We always have to be asking the question, is this person, this leader, this shepherd, proclaiming the forgiveness of sins and salvation through Jesus alone or through something else? And it's unfortunate that we have to even ask that question, even of people who call themselves Christians. But I'm telling you right now, there are so many authors and speakers and pastors who headline big Christian events, who, who presidents uh, ask to pray or speak at their inaugurations, whose books line the bookshelves of Christian bookstores, who preach a message of prosperity or blessedness or happiness according to what you do for God rather than what God has done for you. These Christian leaders want to focus on you, your works, your faith, your life. And so they turn Jesus into a kind of personal life coach or some kind of blessing dispenser in the sky rather than the Savior who journeyed to the cross to die for your sins and who rose again so that you might have eternal life. And so their message ends up being no better than some kind of flimsy motivational pep talk except with a spiritually dangerous downside. Because what they end up doing is misleading people into matters of eternal significance. And rather than pointing people back to Jesus, they point people back to themselves. And that's no different than what the Pharisees were doing. The Pharisees, I'm sure, looked the religious leader part. I'm sure they checked all the boxes that people thought of when they thought of a shepherd except they were missing one, the most important. They were leading people away from God and away from the true door of the sheep, Jesus Christ. Which brings us to the second implication that we'll talk about today, which is that it's a question that's been at the forefront of human history since the beginning of human sin in this world. And the question is this. How are we justified? How are we made righteous before God? It's a simple question, and it actually has a simple answer. We heard an answer today. Jesus puts it plainly, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. But unfortunately, we as human beings love to make simple things more complicated than they need to be. There have been various studies that have been conducted throughout the years, and, and they ask Christians, Christians in the United States, how it is that people are saved. And these studies, I've read many of them, they all kind of show the same thing. It usually shows that the majority of Christians in the United States, that means more than 50%, mind you, believe that, quote-unquote, good people or that even non-Christians have the shot at, eternal, at attaining eternal life. That they believe that there are multiple ways to get to heaven. And remember, this is, these are Christians saying this. These are people who should know better. And they'll say things like, well, it's based on how good of a person you are. Or, or it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something sincerely in life. Or they'll say that all religions are kind of different perspectives on the same truth. That the, we're all journeying in this life up the same mountain of truth. We're just coming up different sides of the mountain. But this is in direct opposition to what Scripture says and what Jesus says. Jesus says, I am the door. 
Or later in John's gospel, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so I think at times Christians try to soften the meaning of these words because they're afraid that it'll sound too judgmental or too exclusive. But these are the words of Jesus, and they are judgmental. Jesus is judging our human attempts to try to earn our way to him. Whether it's by how well we perform or how good of people we think we are or how strong of our our faith we think it is. You see, Jesus judges the stubbornness of our sinful human hearts thinking that we in any way contribute to our salvation, that we do anything to earn our salvation. But when we do that, you see, we're only making something that is quite simple much more complicated. The true gospel is simple. It is good news. Salvation is not based on the merits of sinful people like you and like me. Salvation is based solely on the merits of the one sinless person, Jesus Christ, who came to forgive and redeem sinners like us. And Jesus came for us. He came for the whole world. And this good news isn't exclusive at all. In fact, it's radically inclusive. Listen to these well-known words from the book of Romans. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so this is the good news. And this good news makes us want to share it with others. How wonderful it is to proclaim that Jesus has already done everything necessary for our eternal life. That it's not up to us. It's up to him. And he has done it all. That is good news. It also makes clear our Christian vocation to share the gospel with those around us. You know, I think sometimes that Christians are tempted to to say something like there are multiple ways to God, many ways to earn salvation, because then it lifts the responsibility of having to talk about Jesus with other people. It's much easier to say, well, that everyone is fine without Jesus. But the thing is, we know that that's not true. But we also know that sharing Jesus is not a burden. Yes, it can be difficult at times. It can be difficult when talking to a friend or a family member to find the words to say, to share our faith with others. It can be difficult, but it's not a burden. Because when we stop to think about Jesus as the the door to our salvation, that he has called us by his precious gospel, that we do go in and out and find our eternal peace and pasture in him, we realize it's actually a joy to share the good news with others so that they too might find that same good news, the same peace, the same eternal life in Jesus. I am blown away by our young men and women who have shared with us today how they did that in their lives. And we are each called to do the same. And that's actually our mission here at Christ our King. It says we are activated, our mission statement says we are activated by the Holy Spirit. And we will glorify God through worship, word, witness, and our work so that all people can be transformed into devoted followers of Jesus Christ, our Good Shepherd. Today, as I call it, is Good Door Sunday. 
because Jesus is the door to pleasant pastures. But today is also Good Shepherd Sunday, and we know that Jesus is our Good Shepherd. We trust him to always lead us, even though we do walk through the valley of the shadow of death, because we know that where he leads is life, and that Jesus has come to bring us life and bring it abundantly, both now and forever. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. In his name. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our good shepherd. Amen.